This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 552 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Batman's 1000th or 1001st detective, a neurotic Superman from the future, Legion artist Tag, you're it. Young Justice goes into the final stretch, more Shakespearean dreaming, back to the Watchman toy box, the lightning round, and let's play Monopoly. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, October 25th, 2020. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs. You can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and maybe leave us a review somewhere. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614 614- 321-9-SFP. We've got four weeks to cover, so we better get started. Detective Comics number 1027 by <gasps> Tomasi Walker, Bendis, Marquez, Fraction, Zadarsky, Rucka, Rizzo, Tinian IV, Rosmo, DeConnick, Romita Jr., Jansen, Wolfman, Lupacino, Sinkowitz, Morrison, Burnham, King, Simonson, Snyder, Rice, Prado, Jurgens, and Nolan. Thanks for not letting me read that. <laughs> DC continues their 1,000th issue gimmick. This is the 1,000th appearance of Batman in, in Detective Comics, although his first appearance was in number 27, so they should have done this one issue prior. Is, is my math right on that? I, I believe you are <laughs> correct. This is a massive, in this case, 144-page mega spectacular. The stories. Batman, in a watery death trap, goes through his rogues gallery, then gives the bad guy what he wants, allowing him to escape in blowback. The Bat family works out clues regarding a dead, crooked detective in Masterclass. The Joker always remembers Batman's birthday in many happy returns. A new cop in the GCPD quickly reaches a moral crossroads in Rookie. The dynamic duo team with Dead Man on a supernatural hunt, including Bruce's memories of his mother in Ghost Story. Bruce plays a round of golf with a mobster in Four, then goes on a podcast that turns into a quest for sunken treasure in Odyssey. We also meet an also-ran hero with bad timing in Detective Number 26. Batman fights a radioactive foe, playing the long game to defeat him in Legacy. Jim Gordon narrates a tale of Batman and the JLA, well, mostly Batman, reigniting the sun in, as always. And a quick story back in current continuity regarding the Joker War, which we skipped, and the Black Casebook. And then there's the final story. Scraped together from the ashes of DC's scrapped Generation 5, a grand plan to create a single timeline thrown out with Dan DiDio. It's Generations Fractured. Bats is fighting Calendar Man and some classic monsters when a bright flash takes Bruce back to his roots to 1939 and his first outfit. In warps Commandy with a Skeets-based prosthetic arm asking Bruce to come with him. He reluctantly agrees and we go off to Future State. 
DC will put the brakes on all its titles in January and February, replacing them with a series of interlinked specials and miniseries, kind of like Convergence. This clearly is coming from the content of what was going to be Generation 5. We have definitely ordered this. So it's back to the DC well. Penultiman, number one, from Ahoy Comics, from Payer, Robinson, and Luffbridge. Ahoy always does such interesting stuff, and this is no exception. Meet the titular hero, a Superman analog with his own Silver Age robot called Anti-Penultiman. Penultiman is from the far-flung future in a world of incredible mental powers. P-Man only has super strength, flight, etc., and is considered an evolutionary throwback. He's called Back to the Future to fight a foe that requires brute force. Penultiman has a lot of anxiety about being kicked out, so he feels like this is his opportunity for redemption. In his secret identity, a worker drone at the FBI, he asks for some time off and is rejected, but he goes anyway, putting anti-Penultiman in charge while he's gone. P-Man defeats the giant armored glove of 90,019 CE and prepares to bask in the warmth of his big head father's adulation. Instead, they send him back ASAP. He commiserates with his robot who tries to bring him up to speed on what has happened there. P-Man ignores him and goes back to the FBI, only to find he's been promoted and has his own office. He also learns his archenemy Zev Zolo has devoted his life to the good of humanity, all due to the sage counsel of P-Man. What have you done? A great spin on the Silver Age superhero concept. Legion of Superheroes number 9 by Bendis, Marquez, Sook, Von Grabager, Quinones, Grell, Rice, Prado, Dennington, Heron, Ramita Jr., Jason, Scott, Adams, Chang, Frank, Lote, Rosmo, Yang, Nolan, Fife, Frizen, Lapacino, and Jareds. The trial of the Legion of Superheroes continues with each page completed by a different artist. This was an interesting gimmick for a single issue, but now it's rather distracting. Shadowlass gives testimony involving Legion auditions for membership, which provides an excuse for backstories for Dawnstar, Bouncing Boy, although they're not sold on the name, Monster Boy, Wildstar, Timberwolf, and Invisible Kid, each showing either their devotion to the United Planets or their disdain of it. General Nat attacks and Monel retaliates, throwing the trial into chaos. Dream Girl gets everyone's attention, letting them know that darkness is coming. Triplicate Girl argues among herself whether they should stay in the Legion or not, and we get a few cameos all arguing. The new Dr. Fate comes in to argue their case, saying that yes, the darkness is coming, but it's based on an inevitable swing in the cosmic balance. Either the Legion will stop the darkness when it arrives, or it will come because the Legion was not there to stop it. Any questions? White Witch accuses General No of trying to collect artifacts like Aquaman's trident because he already knows the darkness is coming and plans to use them to betray the Legion and take it over, which the General admits to. The UP president hands off the General to Gold Lantern and declares the trial over with the Legion exonerated. Oh, and Saturn Girl and John Kent share a kiss. Bendis is great at introducing huge concepts, but he's not so much bringing them to a conclusion. Let's hope he can do better here, and that he will have the time to do so. Speaking of wrapping things up... Young Justice, number 19, from Wonder Comics, by Bendis, Walker, Godlewski, and Eltiab. 
We already know Young Justice is coming to an end with apparently the whole Wonder Comics line. So Bendis is pivoting this title from a freewheeling romp to a specific storyline, in this case, Wonder Girl, Cassie Sandsmark and her literal relationships with the gods. Cassie tries to go back to her job, but after disappearing, see Young Justice up to this point, the job is gone. She walks out into the street only to run into Zeus in a business suit who wants her to go back to the family business. When she refuses, a giant blue lobster-like creature appears and attacks, forcing her to fight. She calls in Young Justice, at a fast food place, of course, where they are attacked by Poseidon, trying to defeat Zeus through her. Bad move. Post-battle, she still refuses to follow Zeus's path, so she's banished from the Pantheon. Next issue, final issue? The Dreaming, Waking Hours, number three, from DC Black Label, by Wilson, Robles, and Lopez. Lindy has now set up her one-man show to determine who is the real Shakespeare and escape the dream. She's eliminated the, the Illuminati, Sheik Zabir, and Anne. Now she realizes the answer. She has to put on a play within a play, which is a common Shakespeare device, allowing her to see the truth. Meanwhile, Heather is working on a pathway to the Dreaming Through Fairy, which involves getting one of the fair folk to let them in. Jophiel reminds her that the last time she tried to summon someone was him, and it didn't go well. She let him go, unlike her grandfather, who kept Daniel hostage and started the whole Sandman series. In this case, she summons Puck, of course, the fairy from Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, and he immediately attacks Heather, forcing her to send him back. Ruin decides it's better to figure out the plight on his own. Meanwhile, Lord Dream interrogates some of the nightmares to find out how Ruin escaped, including Brute and Glob, characters introduced in the 1970s Sandman run. After some banter about how they were indirectly responsible for Daniel's existence, they tell him it wasn't a nightmare or a dream that freed Ruin. It was something that walked between the worlds. Daniel immediately knows who they're talking about and tells Lucian to find her. Rorschach, number one, from DC Black Label by Kings, Fornis, and Stewart. DC goes back to the Watchmen well for a story about our favorite hooded detective. We begin at a presidential convention for the candidate running against President Robert Redford, where an assassination attempt is violently stopped. A man in Rorschach's costume is responsible. It can't be the real one as he's long since dead. There's also a woman involved in a cowboy outfit and mask. Both were killed during the skirmish. It's confirmed that the mask and costumes are just knockoff stuff from a Halloween store, where we see plenty of Watchmen character masks. The police officer that stopped the assassination is in critical condition after a hail of gunfire and is told he is dying. They also found an old tape with the assassin's belongings, which includes a name related to an old hero called Pontius Pirate. We later see a billboard for a movie based on the character, along with a fading billboard covering up one for Nostalgia Perfume. There's also a recording of some sort of seance. Pontius Pirate is the fake Rorschach, while someone named Laura Cummings was his accomplice. Oh, and the prints on the body match those of Walter Kovacs, the real dead Rorschach. At one point, the story refers to the incident in Oklahoma, which is a reference to HBO's Watchmen series. So all of this is in the same continuity? Hmm, an intriguing story. Well, there are a lot of comics we want to mention, so we are instituting... The Lightning Round. Justice League Odyssey number 25, the finale to the only good league title running today and the final battle with Darkseid. 
There's betrayal, switcheroos, and sacrifices of time-based duplicates. The team stops Darkseid from his final aims, but he has restored Apocalypse to the height of its power, so the war has just begun. The team is boomed to back to their worlds, only to run smack dab into death metal. Blech. X-Ray Robot number two from Dark Horse. It's been many months since the first issue came out, impacted by the industry shutdown. The future robot with the current scientist's brain takes the team into the multiverse with the goal of shutting down alternate futures before they start, saving the main timeline from destruction. It's from the All Red, so of course the artwork is trippy. We even get a 3D double splash page at the end. Norse mythology number one from Dark Horse. Neil Gaiman goes the Classics Illustrated route with the Norse gods turning the text into a comic book. The artwork is dreamy and the tale is unadorned. It needs no sprucing up. Commanders in Crisis number one from Image. Steve Orlando drops us into the middle of a classic comic crossover with all the multiversal trappings. There's some intriguing powers. The originator can change reality by creating new words. Prize fighter is as strong as the crowd around him hopes he is. The super team, Crisis Command, is composed of U.S. presidents from different universes, all of which saw their worlds fall. Now this world is their last stand. Firefly, Blue Sunrising number one from Boom Studios. After a lot of prep, we've reached the event, which turns out to involve the Blue Sun Corporation replacing lawmen, like Mal, with robots. First models are a joke, but their replacements turn out to be formidable and deadly. Mal is partnered with one, which turns out to be a test to make them even better. The next model somehow includes Mal's face. We learn in the next issue that the robots also include his witticisms and folksiness, but no adjustments to the letter of the law, which causes an uprising. There's just a lot of great banter throughout. Strange Adventures number 6 of 12 from DC Black Label. Tom King's tale has started to wander. I think this could have been told in six issues. We get it. Alana is the mastermind of the Ranian War and Earth's response to it. She's also stonewalling Mr. Terrific's investigation of what happened in the war. The war is brutal, and both sides take enormous casualties. There really wasn't any motion in the storyline here. Well, we have a quick bit of industry news. And then there was one DC Comics distributor. UCS, a.k.a. Chicago's Midtown Comics, announced they were dropping DC as it became too much of a hassle. Although initial stories said DC dropped them, leaving Lunar as the sole U.S. distributor. Of course, Diamond is still out, at least for now. The main reason DC gave for dropping Diamond in the first place and propping up these new distributors was that they didn't want a monopoly. Well, it didn't take very long to get back to a monopoly. For your local comic shop, if they had a UCS account, they will now need to go through the whole setup process again with Lunar, which means even more uncertainty for everyone. Meanwhile, Lunar has taken this opportunity to create new rules for their customers. A minimum of $500 in orders per month must be a brick-and-mortar store or a dedicated consumer website with a functioning shopping cart or an online platform selling direct-to-consumers in a format other than auctions. This is all designed to stop people from running their own personal business via eBay or for groups of fans to order as if they were a business. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. 
Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.